0: We're going to hear about the Man Booker International Prize. And uh, one that has f- unfolded, right, it's a story that has unfolded right here in Cape Town just this last week because the judges were here from all over the world. They were here at the University of Cape Town to announce the names of the finalists of the Man Booker International and to have a discussion and debate. Well, last Thursday, they were debating literature from the Global South. They were doing it at Jamison Hall, where, as you know, there's been a bit of a controversy over the placing or removal of the statue of Cecil John Rhodes. Well, what's the link, you wonder? Well, to find out how, first, I spoke earlier. I spoke to the administrator of the Man Booker International Prize. She's Fiametta Rocco. She's also literary editor of The Economist. And I asked her first to explain the
1: distinction between the Man Booker International and the Man Booker Prize. Well, the Man Booker Prize... For fiction very very familiar to people in this country because of its very long association with South Africa it goes back to 1974 when Nadine Gordimer won it for The Conservationist. That prize, as you can see, one book in a given year. The Man Booker International Prize was much newer. It was started in 2004 and it really tries to address something different. It's given for a body of work The words are for an achievement in fiction. So it's got to be several novels, at least three of which will have been translated into English. It's only given every two years. The annual Man Booker Prize, the submissions are made by the publishers. In this particular prize, they take no submissions from publishers at all. Every two years, there's a new judging panel, and they create their own list of authors that they want to read. So there's no hand-on. From one panel to another. They start completely afresh. Key then are the are the judges. Who were they this year? And every year they're different and how did they get chosen? I mean they must be very eminent people in the in the literary field. Well they're an amazing panel, this one. In the chair is Marina Warner, half English, half Italian. Uh, a professor of English in Britain, a writer about myth and symbols and art and the cult of virgin marriage. she's written about the Arabian Nights and so on. With her is Nadine Aslam, Pakistani-born novelist who now lives in Britain, Edwin Frank, um, who is American. The editor of the New York Review classic series. Elika Burma, known to some of you because she grew up in this country of Dutch ancestry, now the professor of world literature at Oxford. And Wenqing Uyang, who's a professor of Arab literature at SOAS, Taiwanese raised in Libya, for whom Arabic is her first language. Gosh. So quite a remarkable very remarkable and very, very different
0: perspective. So, it takes them how long, well, it's not significant how long it takes, but how do they, how do they arrive at choosing the the people whose work
1: they're going to read? Well, they were very keen to make a really global exploration of this. So, they started at the very beginning, in the very first meeting, to set aside famous novelists who wrote in English and Marina asked each of them to bring the names of five people who might end up on the shortlist, whom the others wouldn't know. The initial
0: number of authors was how many, and reduced down to now how many in the finalists?
1: So in that first meeting, they had about 25. They've probably read close to 100 authors in the uh, 20 months or 22 months that they've been going, And it's always at this point in the process, when they come out into the light, we go to a major literary city. So we've been to New York, we've been to Sydney in one year, we've been to Toronto, we've been to the Jaipur Literary Festival, and now we're in Cape Town. And the job here is to present the shortlist of ten the criteria, I mean, for them all to agree
0: on a short list out of all those different authors must be extremely difficult. And I imagine perhaps the criteria varies for with each judging panel. Can we have any indication of on what basis they've chosen this?
1: Well, they were looking really for, for writers who reshaped the familiar world or writers who reflected on their own locales in new ways and they found that there were writers who who wrote out of their own reading experience and there were writers who wrote about what their own experiences in their own lives had been so very 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 different but I think uh, new ways, new voices, new ways of looking at things, uh, there had to be an element of surprise and interestingly In their search for people who were writing about different things, one of the things that they were looking for was pleasure. Mm. Because writing is for reading and reading is one of the great pleasures. And I
0: suppose literature itself is dynamic. I I think you were saying that it has to kind of reinvent itself to remain relevant, to talk to new audiences as as the social um, collective minds move on. So it has to be appropriate. So all the work has to be fairly recent. The author has to be alive. The finalists,
1: the, the, judge, the judges' list of finalists, they are whom? So there are ten names on the shortlist. Four of them are from, just completely coincidentally, happen to be from the African continent. Eight are authors who don't write in English, so their work has been translated, the highest proportion ever. And eight, astonishingly, come from what could be termed the Global South, so far from the traditional metropole of europe and america um cesar ira is a writer from argentina a very um experimental writer surprisingly interesting to read huda barakat is a wonderful writer from lebanon who writes brilliantly about pleasure beirut is her heroine of all her novels and she writes in in an extraordinary voice about the city. Uh, Maryse Conde comes from Guadeloupe, writes a great deal about her African ancestry, about Mali and is one of those authors who makes extraordinary connections across the oceans, translated by her husband. So they make an almost uniquely singular voice together on the page. Wow, um, marriage. <laughs> Mia Couton, a writer who will be known to lots of people here from Mozambique. He's a biologist, an environmentalist. Uh, he's written about the Civil War. Again, someone who can write about his lifetime's experience, traumatic experience in many ways, and give it new voice. Amitav Ghosh, possibly the best known author, certainly to an English audience, Indian. Um, has created this extraordinary world of the Indian Ocean with its uh, words and languages that are imported from Mauritius, from uh, Sri Lanka, from sort of nautical monsoon literature. Fanny Howe, the only American on the list, half Irish, half American, mm. writes a lot about children about the bewildered, the unknowing, the innocent. Ibrahim al uh, a writer from Libya, whom our panel hadn't really thought of as African, but has been of course adopted as one of the four African authors here. He's a Tuareg who comes from the Sahara. He writes in Arabic now, but didn't actually learn Arabic until he was 12. Um, Laszlo Krasznahorkai, Hungarian novelist who writes sentences the length of which you wouldn't believe. <laughs> punctuated hopefully punctuated yes <laughs> punctuated um Alain Bambanku a writer from Congo who's known uh, in some places as Africa's Beckett writes this incredibly lively urban uh, strange funny vivid literature particularly about Brazzaville and of course your own Marlena van Niekark about whom I don't need to say anything yes but um, somebody who has brought the incredible richness of Afrikaans uh, through translation to an English readership.
0: Well, rich is the word that keeps popping into my mind, this rich global collection of of thoughts and ideas and perspectives and uh, world views. It's, it's an extraordinarily wonderful collection and I don't envy anybody having to come up with a final winner. The key here, the, the, the other word that keeps popping into my mind is English, which one could say is sort of kind of exclusive it will these books be translated is there a, what what is that how are we to get all this these thoughts to
1: a, a broader audience so they don't have to be written in English originally okay. they're either <clears throat> they can be written in English but they're also must be translated and you know without making a great defense of English because of course to many people it's known as an imperial language a colonial mm-hmm. language the reality is that it is a great lingua franca. I mean, probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, lingua franca of our time.
0: Nonetheless, the, so they have had to have been translated. Now, I think that when the, the winner is finally announced, so when will that be, question A, question B,
1: will there then be translations? Well, so the winner is announced on May the 19th at a dinner in London and there is a cheque for the winning author of £60,000, so that's just over a million rand. And there's also an additional prize for the translator or translators, and the people who win that are chosen by the author himself or herself, can choose the translator of their own work to be the recipient of this additional prize. Mm.
0: So we have to wait until May the 19th for the final announcement, which will be very exciting. But you mentioned there, you know, the imperialist connotations that go with English. I think at the event that you had the other night at the University of Cape Town, where all the judges were were talking and debating Global South and literature, I think that there was an interruption that was uh, based on imperialist issues.
1: Tell us what happened. Well, you know, we've been in Cape Town Uh, at the invitation of the university. We've been there every single day this week and it's impossible to be on campus without being aware of the controversy about the Cecil John Rhodes statue. Um, So we've seen various manifestations, the statue all covered up in plastic, there've been whiteboards on which students could write their own thoughts about history, about Um, the way in which the past speaks to them or or fails to speak to them now and the way the present uh, doesn't seem to be listening for them, they don't feel admitted to it. So last night we had a a big uh, event in the Jameson Hall, Um, the five judges speaking to an audience, hundreds of people came, lots and lots and lots of chairs, it was absolutely packed. And about halfway through, when they had finished uh, more or less giving their presentations and they were beginning to take questions from the public, there was a group of about 30 young students who came in with a very, very big banner and several smaller placards calling for the statue to be removed and they filed in through that central aisle and then divided into incredibly dignified, very very quiet and stood with their backs to the judges facing the audience. They didn't say anything but their message was very very powerful and they allowed the judges to carry on their deliberations to carry on talking in part Addressing them even though the judges couldn't see their faces and couldn't tell none of us could tell whether they were listening or not because they were completely impassive and After about gosh felt like ages, but I suppose it was no, no more than about 15 minutes Two of them left and then the others also silently filed out So it was a process of great dignity by this answer. it was very dignified and and very eloquent in its way that Here were people who felt history not only didn't represent them, but wasn't admitting them either now. And I think one of the extraordinary things about the whole evening is that literature, and the arts generally, but literature in particular, is almost unique in its ability to reach out to other people, not in a way that's appropriating or taking power, but in a way that allows us to share what other people see. And literature does one thing which is absolutely remarkable. It allows you to think of those with whom you are in conflict as human beings. Well,
0: there you go, absolutely. That was uh, Fiametta Rocco, and she she is the administrator of the Man Booker International Prize.